Welcome to Sheer Clarity, the show that will teach you about leadership by attraction, building self-awareness, and how to develop exceptional self-management abilities that will help you become more reflective, more open, more trusting, and more engaging with the people who matter to you most. In other words, make you a better leader. Head on over to SheerClarity.com where you can learn more, subscribe to the show for free, and connect on social media. And now, here's your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Hey everyone, Jay Kevin McHugh, your host for Sheer Clarity. Looking forward to our day today. I thought since our last episode, we finished up that wonderful topic called appropriate vulnerability. I thought how wonderful to segue from the topic globally to a very specific part of it. And it's a topic called imposter syndrome. We'll talk about what it is, what it means, how many of you may be experiencing it, and whether you are conscious of that or not conscious of that, what it is, what to do about it, how it can get in the way, try to make you more aware of what's going on with you. It's not something that's uncommon. I know it has a heavy tone to it, but we will unpack it, talk about it, and maybe give you some ideas about what to do with it. Not only for yourself, but if you look around you, I'm sure you have executives on your team who also have their own version of it. And if as a leader, you know about it, you know how to notice it, you'll be in a better position to help them and restore confidence, get them to admit what's going on, unblock them, give them new levels of productivity and efficiency. And of course, we'll come to the answer of the purpose and meaning of life if we get a chance. But before we do that, The purpose and meaning of life is also related to my producer, Matthew Passy. (laughs) Matthew, how's that for an intro today, buddy? Now I'm suffering from imposter syndrome because that's a pretty big intro you just gave me. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that this topic is coming up today. It's something that I often struggle with personally. It's something that recently came up in therapy. And it's something that even today, as I was engaging with my community of other podcast producers within the Facebook groups that somebody else who I respect and revere posted a big thing about his own feelings of imposter syndrome. And it's just funny to see how many of us in this community feel that way. This is not probably unique to any level of person. This is probably not unique to any industry. Imposter syndrome is probably pervasive. And a lot of folks maybe just don't even recognize what it is and what to call it. So I'm glad we're tackling this today. That's excellent. I mean, I've known about this for a long, long time, and I did a little research about it. And the best place someone can identify when the term was started being used, it was back in the late 70s. And there was a professor, two professors, actually, Drs. Pauline Clance and Dr. Suzanne Himes, who wrote a book called The Imposter Syndrome in High Achieving Women. They really broke down what this was and how it worked. It's been around ever since, very, very, very common term. But in the end, let's define it real quick here. It's a psychological pattern or condition in which the individual has a doubt about the nature of their accomplishments, their worth of being where they are, some kind of internalized fear about being exposed as a fraud. It's just how did I get here? I'm making assumptions about what people who are here know and do, and somehow I fall short. And the next thing I know, I have to go into a room and act like I know what I'm talking about. 
And that's it in a nutshell. It's an anxiety. It's a condition. It's psychology. I prefer to call it based on self-doubt. That's common. But then the self-doubt is related to my role, my job. In our case, for our audience, these are leaders. You're all out there leading people. And there are times when you have this encounter with this feeling that I'm going to be found out or I don't know what I'm doing and somebody's going to know. And I think that's an important part of this. You can have the imposter syndrome and just deal with the fear deal with the anxiety that I don't know what I'm doing. But until you add this second element and I'm going to be found out, you don't really get the full definition. That's where the power of the issue comes. There's a lot of people who have doubt. I mean, we all have it. And the reason I think that you identified, it's not just you in the podcast world or any world, it's everywhere because I think it's human. It's a condition. We frequently have periods where we're unclear or uncertain. It gets aggravated the moment we're in a position where people are looking to us as some kind of leader in the situation. You're supposed to know, and you're supposed to have it together. And the assumption is because you're in charge or because you're speaking as an expert, you have your act together. You know what you're doing. And the truth is from time to time, Underneath, the person who's standing there presenting themselves, knowing and having it all together, actually doesn't know if they do. The thing I want to say while we're having this conversation, it's a heavy term, imposter syndrome, and it suggests Machiavellian manipulation. That's at its worst degree. It's where someone is utterly unconscious they have it, and they're simply a true fraud. They are like bordering on a liar, living a lie, and completely don't admit it, don't know about it. That's at the extreme end. But bring it down to the opposite end. And it's just kind of an occasional feeling in the pit of your stomach. It doesn't happen all the time. It's just like a flash. It's a moment of self-doubt. And for the most part, you talk yourself through it. You get out of it. So picture the continuum The imposter syndrome is anywhere from a mild sort of low-level anxiety of self-doubt all the way up to, I mean, a monster fraud, somebody who's a lying, cheating actor with bad intention. Um, But in the end, the common theme is we all at some time or another have a fear that we aren't good enough and somebody's going to call us out on it. That was a lot. Yeah, it's a heavy (laughs) start. And I guess for me, there's definitely an aspect of it where you fear that you're a fraud or someone's going to call you out that you're not as good as you think you are, that maybe you've been getting lucky. And I think for me also, it's part of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Everything's been going well and there's a fear of the unexpected which is probably fed by the fact that you don't think you're good enough, that you're doing something wrong and all of a sudden carpet's going to get pulled out from under you and the next thing you know, everything that you've built up and you've done just quickly falls apart. That's right. That's right. Well, in that avenue, that's sort of this self-conversation that you're having. That's everyday anxiety and fear and concern about things that something bad's going to happen or using your phrase, the other shoe's going to drop. And how can it be going so well? Like something's got to happen sooner or later, right? I would make the distinction that 
that's your all-purpose, everyday garden variety humanity of just second-guessing and worrying. What I think makes it imposter syndrome is that you have to take that underlying fear and it's about something that you're presenting to the rest of the world. That's where the imposter piece comes in. I'm out there and I'm behaving and acting as though I belong here. I'm competent. I understand material. I get what this is. I'm in charge. And I have to behave in a way that sometimes I don't think I measure up to what's expected. There's an expectation from the outside that I'm supposed to live up to. So I go ahead and try to do that. And while I'm doing that, I have this insecurity or second guessing that I'm not good enough. And by the way, as we're talking about this, I asked my listeners to sort of think it through as we're having the conversation with you. One of the things that's crucial here is whether or not you're even conscious that this is a possibility for you. I mean, you and I are talking about it now, Matthew, because we are both agreeing we know what it is. You're conscious of it. I mean, that's pretty cool because then with that consciousness, you can do something to manage it. But I have to be honest, I got a lot of executives on my roster and have met hundreds, maybe thousands more who actually don't even know the nature of this term. They're not even reflective enough to be aware of it. So these are the folks who actually have a lot of power, might be a CEO, and because they don't know what's going on, they're actually acting and behaving like they think a CEO is supposed to react. And people will pick up on it that it has a phony quality to it or that it's missing something. It's really like an act, okay? And because they're not conscious of it, they don't know how to stop it. They don't know what to do with it. So they just proceed and they end up getting a reputation in the institution as a person who from time to time just apparently doesn't get it. They may be a good person and a fair person and a kind person. So people give them a break and give them the benefit of the doubt and then they just deal with it. I find this in more closely held businesses where people have become leaders more from a standpoint of the legacy and being a son or brother or daughter or sister. I mean, they're family-oriented businesses. So you don't necessarily have to qualify for your leadership the way somebody who's a hired gun does or the way a founding entrepreneur does. So there's maybe a little higher incidence where I can see the chances, the probabilities of this occurring might be a little higher in the more closely held generational businesses. Part of the job I have when I'm executive coach is to determine with someone how connected they are with their brand and their rap sheet out there and also get them to be conscious about this idea. And I can tell you, I've done closely held businesses for all 28 years of my career. So there are maybe 50 to 60 that I've been encountering in a direct way over time. And I see this, the imposter syndrome all the time. And the ones who do the best with it are the ones who actually are saying, yeah, I may not know everything and 
I understand what people think. A lot of times I'll see a second generation CEO who can't win, actually, because if the company really does well and it's moving on and it's been handed down to them from a prior generation, maybe the founding generation, it might have been a father, might have been a mother, but they're now in this role and they comprehend who they are and how they got there and they're okay with it. But there are others who have the role and they act like their CEO, but they're uncomfortable in the role because there's no formal training. They haven't really been prepared for it. They just got the job as being the son of or the daughter of. In the end, what I try to get them in touch with is, do you know how uncertain you are and how at times anxious you are? And are you prepared to admit it or prepared to talk about it? Is it the responsibility of the parent or whoever is currently in charge of that closely held business to prepare the next generation so that they don't have imposter syndrome? Absolutely. To prepare them for success in general, but more so than just how to run it, but how to feel confident in that they can run it. Yes. There's an entire support system out there in many colleges and universities. I've actually spoken at the University of Toledo, and they do have a family business enterprise institute. I don't know if I'm using the right terminology, but there are numerous universities that have programs around legacy business, family business. There's lots of research, lots of studies, lots of consulting. And I just would say, in answer to your question, a proactive, highly alert business founder who wants that business to be generational, to be legacy, to continue through many generations, when they think it through, they lay out an entire program of development and education and integration and exposure for a family member. The best ones I've seen actually have family constitutions where they have a complete set of rules and guidelines and values about the nature of that family business. And that means if you ever want to be a part of it, here are the 10 steps you need to go through. Contrast that with absence of that completely. It's just a foregone conclusion that the son or the daughter is going to be running the business one day and there's no training, there's no development. They just hand them the baton and off they go. Those are the ones that have the biggest challenges because they haven't been prepared. It's where imposter syndrome probably shows up the most. To your point, if it was an alert and fairly thoughtful founder, that founder would have been preparing that second generation in numerous ways, numerous ways. When I was the president of a company, it was an office furniture business in New England, and the father was the founder, and he had two sons, and the mother as well worked in the business. And so that whole group, they were just learning from scratch. I mean, it was back when you would load your car with a file cabinet and drop it off, or then you bought a truck and you started schlepping stuff around. Well, fast forward, by the time I get there as a sales manager, it's two or three million bucks in 
we grew it to 20, 22 million in five or six years, the level of sophistication just ramped up like a hockey stick and they weren't prepared. And it was challenging because a lot of what I wanted to do, I had to argue to do because they weren't prepared for that next level of sophistication. So imposter syndrome was part of it. There's no question. So now the big question, whether this is an inherited problem, whether it's anyone who has run a business, works in a business, is a company, is a leader, anybody who is suffering with imposter syndrome at any level, what are some of the steps to get over it outside of, of course, being able to identify it? I don't want to skip over identifying it too quickly because that's probably the hardest part. Like, think about it for yourself just for a moment. You mentioned you're aware of it, right? That you have some consciousness of this feeling that, Jesus, how did I get here? I don't even know what I'm doing or however you want to describe it. I'd be curious, how do you know? Why are you now able to even talk about it? What are you conscious about? How did you get there? What is it that alerted you to this? That I have imposter syndrome? Yeah. I think I didn't really know what it was called for a long time. I just had a lot of self-doubt. I just had a lot of concerns about the business and whether or not what I was doing was right and whether or not there was something I wasn't thinking about that was going to come back and bite me and be a big mark on my record here. It probably wasn't until recently when I'm trying to remember where it was that somebody else was talking about it or it wasn't in the context of me that it came up, but I heard them say that and I started to think to myself like, maybe that's what it is. And I stored that away in the back of my mind and then in going to therapy and working with someone and trying to figure out some of my issues, I think either I brought it up or she brought it up and we're like, ah, yes, that makes sense. That's what it is. (laughs) I (laughs) feel like I don't deserve the success that I have today. Okay. So let's begin there. For anybody who's listening to this, I'm hoping if you, first of all, realize anyone can have this at any time. So let's just assume it's universal. It's not some disease that's going to kill you. It's just a term. Everybody has it at one time. It's called self-doubt. The difference is, is how long are you going to go hanging out there with the anxiety of feeling that you're a fraud and you're going to be found out? That's the key issue. What are you going to do with it? I would say the first thing you sort of get to solution or what you're going to do with this is maybe start with what are the most common relationships that sort of indicate or create some kind of imposter syndrome? In other words, how have you been set up for this phenomenon of having an inner voice of doubt and whether or not I'm justified in belonging here? And I saw this when I was doing the research. Actually, Wikipedia has a great entire seven or page article about imposter syndrome. It's wonderful. But here's a couple of the items. First of all, you can check what are the family expectations, the history of my family. And we've been talking about this off and on through all of the episodes because this is a self-awareness exercise. One of the great sources of your original sort of programming is your family of origin, your family expectations. What was it like as a kid growing up? 
And what were the expectations that were laid on you? And once those expectations are burned in your hard drive, they start sending you a message. You should, you should, you should. That's the voice of a parent, right? If the parents were overprotective or if they were overly aggressive about your accomplishment or need to be a performer, they push you out on the front of the stage. I had a little bit of that. My mom and dad, I love them to death. They're both gone now. And I saw myself growing up and I look back now and they were very, very insecure, both of them. I think my dad has an anxiety disorder. He was known as a worry wart from the time he was a kid. I have that today. I've seen it in my kids. They also have versions of it. So we almost have a genetic predisposition to some kind of anxiety. But the expectation was very clear. Earn a lot of money. Oh, and have power and don't let anybody roll over you. Both of them grew up as children of the Depression, and both of them were insecure as it was. My mom was famous for comparing how she was doing. I mean, I'm born in 53. This is the 60s now. And just the ability to purchase two new, really beautiful lamps from J.C. Penney to her was some symbol of rival of some kind, right? And these are two lamps that are <laughs> from J.C. Penney in a little row home in Philly. But she was proud of it and she loved it. So there she is with how to measure your life, like material things. And she would even say from time to time, hey, Jack, that's my dad. Do you think my Aunt Joan, my brother's wife, do you think these are as nice as Jones? I grew up learning to compare and learning to achieve and learning to perform. So I did it. I hit it out of the park. Well, that has an angst that goes with it. That has created a performance insecurity that I'm not good enough unless. And fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. So that's, again, doing your investigation as a listener. Do I have imposter syndrome and what do I do about it? I'd say the first thing that you ought to do is go take a look back and see where the wiring harness has been filled with programming. Okay, now, part two that you would do that I think would help you, I call it the 30-minute purge. What's that mean? Open up a Word document or get a pencil and a paper and write for 30 minutes every stinking insecure thought in your head. No matter how insane, like go to the point of being absolutely ridiculous with it and write, 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 and then step back and read the absurdity that you think about yourself. <laughs> like expose it to yourself. Just put it out there, purge it, gurge it, lay it out, all the stupid stuff and thoughts. This is very similar to what we talked about at a prior episode called The Work by Byron Katie. Because you have a series of beliefs and judgments about yourself, and if you don't know what they are and you aren't conscious of them, you have no way of dealing with them. And then her process asks you to write them down and then ask yourself one at a time, is all this stuff I'm saying about myself true? Just get it out on the paper first. Then the next thing I would do is I would focus, not unlike me mentioning my mom's story, as she was a comparer. Well, if you're a comparer, then stop it. If you keep comparing yourself to others, you will get stuck. Somebody's always doing something better or somebody's always got more. You got to stop. You got to stop. If you find out you're feeling like a fraud because you're not as good as somebody else, it's because you're stuck in a comparison trap. 
you're stuck in this trap and that you got to put an end to it. Whenever you're here, you better make sure you kill it as soon as you can. When we talked about the appropriate vulnerability stuff, I would say one of the other ways to deal with this is expose it. I have many, many coaching clients who are working on their brand, working on their issues, trying to manage relationships. And I instruct them and guide them into a proactive vulnerability exercise. What does that mean? It means you go tell people what your insecurity is. Let's make sure we get this. You can be vulnerable and confident at exactly the same time. They are not mutually exclusive. So let's say you're feeling like a fraud because you don't know a certain topic, you don't know the answer. It's one thing to kind of sit there and go, I really don't know. I don't know. I feel so insecure. Okay, that would be the bad way to do it. But a confident way is, I have no clue. This thing just came out of the clear blue. I'm not sure yet, but I'm going to tell you right now, in the next two weeks, we're going to be damn sure and we're going to make a decision. That was a vulnerability moment. I'm unclear. I'm uncertain. I don't know, but that's okay because we have the kind of people we can find out. We're smart people. We got a lot of talent. We got a lot of capability. Give me two weeks. Give me 30 days and we'll figure this out. But for today, I have no idea and I'm okay with that and you should be too but it is not okay to be in the state in 30 days. So let's fix it. Just name it, claim it, and get it out there. And I would make that a part of my culture. I would say, if we can't walk around here saying we don't know or we're not sure and not get all bogged down about being some kind of weakness with it, then we got a problem. Because anytime anybody's moving a ball forward, going out, especially in the world of creativity and innovation, half of the time you don't know anyway. Not knowing and failing is a part of really getting better. All right, I'll stop there. (laughs) I think you made a bunch of really solid points. And I think the biggest takeaway is that not knowing something, especially if it's something that you are new at, you're getting trained on, you are doing for the first time, not knowing something is not a weakness. It is an opportunity to get stronger. And if you can view it in that light as opposed to in the negative of, well, I don't know, therefore I must not be good enough, you're probably going to get yourself on the right path to correcting this. Yes. And if you're worried somebody's going to call you a fraud, call yourself a fraud first and then you're done. It's over. I don't want to pretend I know what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out. And I guess you just have to either be confident that you will be able to figure it out and then also confident that the person who you might be dealing with that you have to tell them that you're figuring out is going to give you that latitude. And I think that's always been one of my problems is if a client says, I want to do something, if I say, well, that's not something I'm familiar with yet, are they going to stop and find someone new or are they going to say, I trust you to get it done? Absolutely. Well, that has been our discussion on imposter syndrome. Clearly, Jay Kevin McHugh is not an imposter. He knows what he's talking about. (laughs) And both of us want to thank you for joining us on this episode of Sheer Clarity. As always, if you have any comments or if you have questions about leadership that you want Kevin to address in future episodes, head on over to SheerClarity.com. And on the bottom of the page, we'll have a simple form and some other ways that you can send those in and participate in the show. We will take all this feedback seriously and try to answer as many questions as possible on future episodes of the show. And 
even if you don't have questions, if you haven't yet, please check out SheerClarity.com. You will find some incredibly detailed show notes related to this episode as well as previous episodes. You'll have links to easily subscribe to the podcast, connect with Sheer Clarity on social media, and just a host of other incredible resources that will help you gain Sheer Clarity. Again, it's all at SheerClarity.com. He's Jay Kevin McHugh, and I'm Matthew Passy, and we will see you next week on Sheer Clarity. Mm-hmm.